Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. One thing I've noticed um, in, in the years of leading Church in the City is as Sundays get closer, my morning showers tend to take a little longer. Um, it's kind of this intriguing uh, uh, thing that I've just realized recently, uh, much to the frustration of my wife and my adult girls when they are ever home, because I tend to use up all the hot water. Um, but what, it's, it's not me hiding in a cave. It's, it's actually me uh, finding a little bit of quiet time in the house uh, to be able to c- contemplate and consider the things that God is stirring in my heart as Sunday gets closer. I noticed that uh, as I begin to just quieten my heart and, and think about the things that he, that he wants to say, it's then that God seems to speak really clearly, shows me insights that he wants me to adjust and, and, uh, and, and, and little thoughts that he wants me to, to communicate that actually turn out to be pretty significant in, in hearts of people that are listening. I think it was Jack Deere um, a couple of weeks ago who said, God seems to speak loudest when we're not trying the hardest to hear him. Uh, it's when we just go about our day-to-day life with an ear open to Him that God seems to speak very, very clearly. So, so this week, as I was preparing for um, our sermon on Sermon on the Mount, I began to ask God, Lord, what do you want to say? What, what is on your heart uh, uh, for, for this morning? And, and just if you are visiting today, just to, just to say welcome firstly, and to let you know that we are in the midst of a series through the Sermon on the Mount. Is this thing on? Is it on? It seems a little quiet, but anyway, that's fine. I haven't even started preaching yet, so I'm sure it'll warm up. We, um, we are in the middle of a series through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's most famous sermon ever preached. Um, it's found in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And essentially what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is describing what it looks like when our hearts are transformed because we've met him. And it's not just a transformed heart, it's a transformed heart that leads to a changed life. Jesus is describing what this changed life looks like in his Sermon on the Mount. So back to the shower. So as I was praying this morning, uh, uh, this week, and, and asking God, Lord, what is on your heart? What is a, a fresh insight that I can bring regarding the Sermon on the Mount? I felt God say this, this little phrase, which I've been thinking through this week. The Sermon on the Mount is God's grace on display. The Sermon on the Mount, in other words, is is God's grace that is being outworked or God's grace that is at work in and through my life or through our lives. The Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 2 that it is by grace that you and I are saved. Not by works, not, not by our effort, so that no one can boast. It's a, it's a gift from God. The grace of God is the thing that saves us. And if you were here last week, you will, you will hopefully remember that, that phrase that I brought to us last week. By grace, we are placed into Jesus. And remember, our position in Jesus determines our practice here on earth. The grace of God saves me. The grace of God means I am in Christ, but the grace of God finds its way to outwork itself into a transformed life. And that's what Jesus is describing through the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus is saying, the grace of God on display. The grace of God being outworked, or the grace of God that is at work. The grace of God that saves me is the grace of God that swallows up sin. Sin doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness 
that we call grace. The grace of God that saves me is the grace of God that sustains me. I can begin, by God's grace, I can begin to view myself just as God sees me, as righteous because of his son. And every time he looks at me, he is pleased with me. The grace of God that saves me is the grace of God that strengthens me. By God's grace, I can consider it pure joy when I face trials of many kinds. Not because I enjoy pain. No, because I know that the testing of my faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, as James says, not this James, James in the Bible, says that perseverance must finish its work so that we may be complete and mature, not lacking anything. The grace of God that saves me is the grace of God that sets me free. I'm free to live generously. I'm free to to live by giving all that I have away because I know that everything that I have comes from God. Do you remember the challenge I brought last week if you were here? Does your generosity reflect the radical grace of God? The grace that saves me is the grace that shapes me into the image of Jesus. Last week, I ended with an intentionally provocative statement that I hope if you were here last week, you've been thinking about. And the statement was this, Christ-likeness is a wonderful desire. It's God's desire for us to be like his son, Jesus. Christ-likeness is a wonderful desire, but it is a horrible goal. Some of us, and if I'm honest, including me, at times live with the burden of trying to be like Christ. But if we try to be like Christ outside of the grace of God, that desire of Christ-likeness becomes a noose or around my neck or a burden on my shoulders that I cannot bear. And if we live that way, the Word of God becomes a yardstick, not a prayer book. What I mean is that the word of God never is meant to be something, oh Lord, am I measuring up? But it's meant to be a prayer book. Lord, I I love your word. Lord, I want to know your word. Jesus, you are the word. I want to be like you. Help, Help me to ensure that this word takes root in my heart and bear fruit. So the Sermon on the Mount is describes the grace of God that is at work or the grace of God that is being outworked in and through my heart. Now, I mentioned that statement, the Word of God is meant to be a yardstick. Sorry, the Word of God is not meant to be a yardstick. (laughs) Let's just circle back again. I don't want that to, I don't want you to go away and think that at all. The Word of God is not meant to be a yardstick. It's meant to be a prayer book. It's actually a a great segue, I think, into the sermon that we're going to be looking at today, the the, the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Matthew chapter 6 is this new section, this, this new uh, uh, first 18 verses, this new section that Jesus unpacks for us on the dangers of self-righteousness when we do kingdom things or Jesus-y type things. When we give ourselves to advancing the kingdom, it's very easy for self-righteousness to begin to creep into our hearts. And he looks at three things, giving to the needy and what we're going to look at today, prayer and fasting. It's very easy for us to say, hey, everyone, or even, hey, self, look at what I am doing for God. And when we live that way, look at the challenge Jesus gives us in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So what does Jesus have to say about the danger of self-righteousness in the context of prayer and fasting. Let's read together. Quite a lengthy passage of Scripture, but we're going to read from 
verse 5 all the way through to verse 18. Jesus says, says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sorry, I left out verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I mentioned last week, um, but those of you who know me fairly well will know that communicating my feelings and emotions can sometimes be a little challenging for me. I'm great with facts. I I can sit down and I can communicate facts, things that have happened, things that are about to happen, love watching documentaries, but emotions and feelings, what's really going on inside can be a little challenging. Fortunately, I'm married to a woman who is not only incredibly gracious towards me, but a woman who is incredibly in tune, not only with her feelings and emotions, but actually with my feelings and emotions. So there, it's, it's not inconceivable for, for, for the following to happen. I, I can sit with my wife and begin to tell her the facts of the day, you know, things that, I, that I've done or, or things that are about to happen, the facts of what is to happen. And, and sometimes she will stop me in the middle of, of my retelling of facts and she'll say, babe, what, what's going on? And I'll kind of look behind me like, what do you mean? I'm just sharing facts. And she goes, no, no, something's going on. Something's happening in your heart. You're not telling me what's really going on. And inevitably what happens is two or three days later, I'll come cap in hand and I'll say, you know what, you were right. I'm actually struggling with this or struggling with that. Or a a different scenario, but kind of communicating the same thing. Sometimes Deb comes up to me and without any warning, she'll say, tell me something nice. Now, she's not meaning tell me something nice about the day. She's meaning tell me something nice about me. And, and, and I'm not allowed to say I love you because that's just too easy. I have to come up with something nice. And, and that is the w- worst ambush that she can do to me, for me. <laughs> you know what? Give me a day or two and I can write a killer birthday card. Honestly, I can. Or, or my anniversary cards are legendary because I've got three or four days to, to kind of pour my heart out. But in the moment, tell me something nice. It's really hard to, to kind of be able to express myself at the drop of a hat. I think 
sometimes we can approach God like that when it comes to prayer. We can declare facts to God. We can announce to God who He is and, and, and we can say to God and thank Him for all that He has done. And, and we can ask Him for things that we want Him to do coming up. But I think sometimes we can, if you're anything like me, sometimes we can avoid telling Him or being honest with Him with what's really going on inside our hearts. Sometimes we can approach God a bit like a bank manager. We speak to Him politely. We visit His premises intermittently. We occasionally ask Him for a small favor or for an overdraft to get ourselves out of difficulty. We thank Him condescendingly for His assistance. We keep up the appearance of being one of His reasonably reliable customers. And we maintain superficial contact with Him on the grounds that one of these days He might come in use. One of the things that we're going to learn today as we walk our our way through Matthew chapter 6 is this, and I'm going to repeat it often. Prayer is a reflection of an intimate friendship with God. And what I've just read does not describe an intimate friendship with God. Mother Teresa says this about prayer. Prayer is simply talking honestly to God. He speaks to us, we listen. We speak to Him And he listens. It's a two-way process, speaking honestly and listening carefully. So how do we pray and fast like Jesus teaches that we should in this text in Matthew chapter 6? And we're going to look at three things. Firstly, in order to fast and pray or pray and fast like Jesus teaches us, firstly, we need to examine our priorities. We need to examine our priorities. Just as with giving, Jesus assumes that we are going to be a people who pray. Look at verse 5 and look at verse 6 and look at verse 7. When you pray, Jesus says. And notice the, 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 the format that Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. And Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself. Mark chapter 1, it tells us in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded, to an undistracted, or to a secret place. And he was found praying there. Or in Luke 5, but Jesus himself would often slip away to lonely, to undistracted, to secret places to go and pray. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, when you pray... When you go into your, when you pray, go into your room, go into your closet, go into that undistracted secret place. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm a fan of watching a few YouTube clips about Jimmy Fallon, you know, the um, Tonight Show host. And he's got this bit, which I absolutely love. It's called Hashtags. And so what he does is he sets up a hashtag for the week, and then people reply with hilarious responses on Twitter. And I came across this one the other day, which I loved, and it's hashtag worst lie I ever told. And that was the, uh, that was the kind of uh, um, hashtag that he sent out. So this one came back from a, a woman called The Faith Ham, at The Faith Ham. She says, I would hide in the pantry to eat candy so my kids wouldn't see. When they found me, I told them I had been praying, hashtag Worst lie I ever told. (laughs) That's not the prayer closet Jesus is talking about. That's not what Jesus is saying, to kind of go away, eat some candy, and when your kids catch you, you tell them that you are praying. What Jesus is saying is, is when you pray, 
Go and find that private place. Go and find that secluded place. Go and find that undistracted place where where text notifications or email notifications or social media things or, 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 your, or your family or your roommates are not constantly demanding your attention. We all know what it's like to sit across somebody over coffee and their phone is lighting up. And then, you know, you know they're distracted. You know they're kind of glancing at their phone. And then while you're sharing, they'll grab the phone and say, I'm, I'm listening. I just need to send off this text. Have you, you been there? You know what it's like, but you know what? We all do variations of that when it comes to prayer. We all do variations of that when it comes to Jesus. If prayer is a reflection of an intimate friendship with God, then prayer demands, prayer calls for time set aside so that we can know God and that He can know us. When do you pray? Now, I know everyone or some of you are probably saying, yeah, I pray all the time. I pray without ceasing as the Bible teaches. You know, I pray while I'm doing the dishes. I pray while I'm driving. That's good. That's right. But I don't think an intimate friendship can ever be cultivated with little popcorn prayers here and there. When do you pray? When do you set aside time to be with God? And and where is that secret place for you? Where is that place that you can go to and you can close the door, as it were, and you can get away from the distractions and to be with your Father who who longs to be with you, to to hear you, to to see you, to to spend time with you? Just an example, for, for me, that secret place is actually walking through the city. For me, I, I, I love to set aside, not every single day time, I, I, I do pray with God as much as I can, but I set aside time at least once a week where I can spend a few hours on end walking through the city streets. Uh, that to me is my quiet time. I, I love the hustle and bustle and the people and the energy of the city. It's, I, I always think it's like when God took Abraham by the hand and he says, come out of your tent and look at the stars in the sky. When, when I walk through the city and sense the energy, it enlarges me because I realize these are, are, these just, this represents people that God wants to touch and change. That's my secret place. That's my quiet place. Where and what is it for you? Look at verse 16. Jesus carries on in the same theme. In verse 16 and 17, when you fast. John Piper says this about fasting. The birthplace for Christian fasting is homesickness for God. I love that. The birthplace for Christian fasting is homesickness for God. In other words, fasting is an expression of our longing for intimacy with Jesus, which is why prayer and fasting go hand in hand. In a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus will unpack fasting in, a far, in far greater detail. And simply for the sake of time, we don't have the, the, the time right now to go into fasting. So for those who are interested on our Instagram account this week, there's going to be a link to a paper that I've written on fasting. If you want to learn more about fasting, if you want to kind of catch something more of God's heart for fasting, it's a, it's a kind of a teaching out of Matthew chapter 9. It's going to be linked to the social media account, to Instagram. But for now, this is what I want to say. The grace for fasting comes from a revelation of Jesus and our longing and desire for greater intimacy with him. To pray and fast like Jesus, firstly, we need to examine our priorities. Secondly, the second way to pray and fast like Jesus teaches in Matthew 6 is we need to enjoy the privilege. 
We need to enjoy the privilege and not see it as a burden, not see it as a, as a legalistic expectation, but enjoy the privilege. Look at the second part of verse 6. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What is the greatest reward for prayer? What is the greatest reward for time spent with God? Surprise, but it's not prayers being answered, as great as it is when prayers are answered. I believe the greatest reward that comes from from prayer is is intimacy with our Father in heaven. Intimacy that is expressed by the joy of His presence. Intimacy that is expressed by, by, by the peace that transcends all understanding, as Paul writes in Philippians, Philippians 4. He, he says, uh, we offer prayers and supplications and, and, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, the peace of God, which makes absolutely no sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you are going through a turmoil, what is the thing you, you and I need most? It's something to guard our minds against anxious thoughts. And the promise of God is his presence will be the peace that guards our hearts. It literally means to be the umpire over what comes in and what doesn't. To be the one who calls balls and strikes against all the things that bombard our minds. That's the promise. That's the great reward. How do we enjoy the privilege of prayer? Firstly, keep it real. Look at verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Do not be like the actors putting on a show. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell them they have, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus is not speaking against praying together. In fact, there are more verses in the New Testament that encourage corporate prayer than, than speak about private prayer. But what Jesus is saying is make sure that your heart motivation is correct. And that is that you're not praying for the benefit or for the show of others, but that you are engaging or encountering your Father's presence. Remember, what is prayer? Prayer is a reflection of an intimate friendship with God. So we need to keep it real. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, the prayer preceding all prayers is this. Listen to this. The prayer preceding all prayers is this. May it be the real I who prays. And may it be the real thou that I pray to. I love that. Keep it real. Secondly, to enjoy the privilege of prayer, keep it simple. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Some of you probably think I'm babbling like a pagan right now, but I hope that's not the case. (laughs) Pagans believed that the longer they prayed, the more chance they had of being heard. For them, prayer was a business contract. For them, prayer was, okay, God or gods, small g, I'm going to pray like this, therefore you have to do this for me. Prayer to them, prayer to the pagans was a legal contract or or a business deal. All it did, though, was it made the gods a begrudging giver and the prayer a burden. But that's not like our Father in heaven. Look at verse 8. Do not be like them, Jesus says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. There's nothing wrong with being persistent in prayer. The very next chapter, Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. In Luke chapter 15, I think it is, Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. Why? Because he wanted his disciples to pray and not give up. You know, Jesus knew his disciples and he knows us. We pray, but we give up. 
So there's nothing wrong in persistent prayer, but not persistent prayer in the hope of getting God's attention. Persistent prayer simply because he knows our struggles. He knows our struggles, and, we, and it, he wants us to express our deep and, 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 and most intimate struggles that are in our heart. To pray and fast like Jesus, we need to examine our priorities. We need to enjoy the privilege, and then lastly, we need to establish a pattern. Look at verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Jesus is not giving us a formula for prayer. He's not saying this is what you need to say over and over again. No, he's, he's establishing a pattern. He's giving us a framework, not a formula. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Three quick observations, not, not formula, three observations around this idea of establishing a pattern. Firstly, I want you to notice that prayer is built on relationship. And again, it enforces what we've been saying all along. What is prayer? Prayer is a reflection of an intimate relationship or friendship with God. He tells us to pray to our Father. That's the word Abba. It's the word Dad. It's the word, it's, it's, it's the word Daddy. It, it conveys the intimacy of Daddy without the childish connotations. That's essentially the best way to describe the word Abba, which is what Jesus is saying. It's, it, it's an intimate word. We can, we can run into his presence and we can, be, we can jump onto his lap and we can be held and we can be heard and we can be seen and we can, we can have our Father in heaven pay attention to us. And, and if we're honest, probably most here don't, haven't received that from our earthly fathers. But also... His name is to be hallowed. His name is to be honored. His name is the name above every name. And, and this is important. Both are true. He's daddy and he's our father in heaven. Both are true without diluting either. I, I don't know how best to describe it or explain this other than giving you an example. Sasha Obama, I believe, was eight or nine when Barack Obama was sworn in for his first term as president. I believe she was eight or nine. Now, some would argue that the president of the United States is the most powerful person on the planet. And essentially, if any one of us tried to access Barack Obama's presence while he was president, at best, we would be wrestled to the ground by the 12 or 15 Secret Service agents that were swarming him. But probably, we'd be shot. I mean, that's just the reality. There's no way to access his presence, the presence of the most powerful person on the planet. But Sasha Obama, eight-year-old, nine-year-old Sasha Obama, could access his presence at any time. She could run into her father's presence. She could be held and, and, and have a listening ear and share her struggles and her fears and her anxieties and her joys. Why? Because he was her father without diluting the fact that he was also the most, most powerful person on the planet. And that's what it's like with our Father. He's the Lord of all, the King of kings, the name above every name. His name is to be hallowed. But he's also Abba. He's also Daddy. 
our heavenly Father. Prayer is built on relationships. Second kind of observation out of this pattern is prayer is centered around the kingdom. God's will doesn't happen in a vacuum. God's will doesn't happen in a vacuum. God's will happens as the eternal reality of heaven, the eternal reality of the kingdom of God, the the reign and rule of Jesus, the reality of his righteousness, peace, and joy. The eternal reality of heaven invades the present reality of our situations and circumstances. That's how the will of God happens. And it happens as we are invited to partner with God through prayer. And so we are praying essentially that sin and sickness and injustice and death would not get in the way of an ever-advancing kingdom. Essentially what Jesus is calling us here to do, friends, is pray for revival. There is a beautiful picture of, of, the hev- of heaven, what is, what, is, what is one day will be fully manifest, the realities of heaven fully manifest, and the realities of the here and now. And God is calling us to, to pray that those realities would expe- experience here and now. So when we come up against sickness, and, and if you're wanting teaching on sickness, I, I, I did a, about a year ago, I did a, a teaching on a theology for healing. One day, there will be complete sickness. Every Christian, no matter where you stand, believes in, sick, in healing one day. God's saying, pray for that reality in the here and now. So when we encounter sickness, we say, God, we know your will is to heal. Then we pray, would you heal now? When we encounter brokenness, we say, Lord, we, the situation is broken. Hearts are broken. We know there is wholeness in heaven. We pray for it right now. When we see injustice in our city, it should burden our hearts, yes, to do something. But perhaps, or as importantly, if not more importantly, Lord, we know there is righteousness in heaven. Would that righteousness manifest in the face of injustice right now? When we see death, we pray for life. When we see separation from God, we pray that those people would come to know God. This is not, this is, this is not a, a, an invitation to pray meek and mild, simple, uh, 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 fearful prayers. This is a time for bold declaration. This is an invitation to, to pray courageous prayers, to pray audacious prayers, to pray revival prayers, to pray heaven come down into my marriage, into my place of work, into my children, into my relationships or whatever. And I love this promise, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. That's so true for every single one of us here. If, if you are in a situation where there, is, where there is healing needed or breakthrough that is needed or wholeness that is needed or maybe you haven't heard the voice of the Father for a while, the way God wants us to pray is, Lord, your kingdom come. There is a promise of a dawn. It cannot be dark forever where the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. As we cry out to our Father, there is a breakthrough that is available for us. I love this song that I've been listening to over and over again for the last four or five weeks. And there's one line that says, I start to sing into the night. My praise will call the sun to rise. And I want to say in the context of our teaching on prayer today, I start to pray into the night. My prayer will call the sun to rise. Prayer is built on relationship. Prayer is centered around the kingdom. And lastly, prayer includes asking for our needs. 
Look at, the, look, look, look at how Jesus te- teaches us to pray. Father, give us. Father, forgive us. Father, lead us. Father, deliver us. In other words, Father, I need your provision and protection. Father, I need your grace and forgiveness. Father, I need your wisdom and leadership. Father, I need your power and deliverance. Is anything missing from that? Is there any part of our lives that is missing from give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us? No. But we go to our Father and say, Father, would you do this in our hearts? When we approach our Father in prayer, we come alive to the reality of heaven as it intersects with and meets very practically the emotional, physical, spiritual needs of our lives. To pray like Jesus, I'm nearly finished. To pray like Jesus, we need to examine our priorities. We need to enjoy the privilege. We need to establish a pattern. And with all of that in mind, we come to verse 14 and 15, which are are honestly head-scratching. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I don't have time to unpack this in great detail, but I'll say this. I believe Jesus is being consistently provocative. If you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the whole time he is being consistently provocative, using provocative analogies and examples to drive home a point. And the point he is driving home is above all else, unforgiveness interrupts intimacy. What is prayer? What have I hopefully drummed into you the whole morning? What is prayer? Prayer is a reflection of an intimate friendship with God. And what is the one thing perhaps above all else that interrupts that friendship? It's unforgiveness. That experience of intimacy and closeness and nearness gets interrupted when we harbor unforgiveness towards others. You've all been there. You, you just can't, if you're not in it right now, cast your mind back to a moment when you were struggling with unforgiveness towards someone and you tried to pray. Who was the first person that came to your mind? Unforgiveness interrupts intimacy with our Father. When I do something to upset my wife, or when I do, if I do something to upset one of you, and we both know what I've done, what restores relationship is not me bringing information about what I've done. What restores relationship is the act of coming humbly and vulnerably before you and asking for your forgiveness. That's what restores intimacy. And it's the same with repentance. With repentance, it's not telling God something that he doesn't know. It's coming with a heart of vulnerability, of humility, and dependence on him that restores relationship. So let's not shy away from repentance. Let's be quick to apologize. And by God's grace, let's be even quicker to forgive one another. All right, let's take the last two minutes just to, sorry, I'm, I'm lying, the last four minutes or five minutes to, <laughs> to just bring some, some application to this morning's sermon. This is the time, if you have a smartphone or a journal, to take it out because I, I'm going to be giving you some to-dos. Uh, you know me, I love to-dos, I love giving something that's going to apply, something that you can take home. So, so three things that I'm going to challenge you guys on. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to give you a couple of challenges that you can work through this week. 
in order to hopefully apply today's sermon. If prayer is a reflection of intimate friendship with God, firstly, we need to examine our priorities. I've said that already. So let me ask you this. When do you pray? When do you pray? When do you pray? Uh, friends, the, the, the sense I'm, I'm picking up in my heart is this is not a time for us to be distracted when it comes to prayer. I know that in the last few months, I feel like my prayer life has, has felt distracted. And I'm sensing God stirring our hearts to say, this is not a time for us to be distracted. When do you pray? Could I challenge us also that the when should include Wednesday nights at 6.30, the first Wednesday of every month, as we gather together as a church to pray? When do you pray? And secondly, where is that secret lonely, undistracted place that you can go to to pray? Where is that place, that secret place that you can go to to pray? Here's my challenge in that regard. Make time, make time, make time, not find time, make time to go there at least once this week. Make time to go there at least once this week. If prayer is a reflection of, uh, of an intimate friendship with God, then secondly, we need to enjoy the privilege. Remember, we learned about that. So let me ask you these questions. Is it the real you that prays? Is it the real you that prays? Are you letting God know what's going on on the inside? And so my challenge to you is, is open up to God about a struggle or a fear or an anxiety that you are reluctant to talk about. Do what Mother Teresa encouraged us to do. Pray and listen. Listen and pray. If prayer is a reflection of intimate friendship with God, then thirdly, we need to establish a pattern. And so the question I want to ask you is, how do you need the invasion of heaven to come into your life? How or in what area or in what way do you need the invasion of heaven to come into your life? What situation seems beyond your ability or beyond your capability that you need the, the outpouring of, of heaven, the outpouring of the kingdom of God to invade that reality? And so I want to challenge you. Pray. Pray this way. Pray, Father, give me if it's in, in an, an area of needs. Pray, Father, forgive me if it's something that you are struggling with a sin issue. Pray, Father, lead me if you're needing his leadership or his wisdom. Pray, Father, deliver me if you are needing his power in some way. Pray for earth. Pray for heaven to invade earth. Now, we're going to end off this morning by doing something that's a little different for church in the city, but we're going to spend some time in silence. Now, I know that might be stretching for some, I know we love to, to make noise, and, and that's good, but, but, I, but I, I, for me, I, I feel like God is wanting us just to kind of be reminded of this reality of, of prayer being a, a reflection of intimate friendship with God. And I want to, uh, for us to pray revival-type prayers, for us to pray for heaven to invade earth, it comes from that place of intimacy and closeness with Him. And so if we can put up, uh, Eloise, I think it is, if you can put up, Psalm 85, behind me, those few verses. I want to encourage us all to take that reference down and for us to be praying these verses throughout this week. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite us in about 30 seconds to a minute to stand together if you are able to stand together, if you feel comfortable to do that. And I'm going to lead us and just pray and lead us through 
this, these few verses. Remember what I said earlier. The Word of God is a prayer book. The Word of God is a prayer book. We need to learn to take God's Word and pray it into our situations and circumstances. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us through this. I'm going to invite us to stand in a moment or two. And we're going to just posture our hearts in a place where we can say, Lord, would you speak to us? I'm going to provide moments of pause where we can just listen to the Holy Spirit, things that he might be saying or things that he might be emphasizing. But I think this is a response, an opportunity for us to respond in, in being silent before the Lord as we work our way through this psalm. I'm going to read it over you. So if you feel comfortable to do this, would you mind standing? And uh, the only reason I'm asking you to stand is if we sit, some of you might fall asleep. So that's literally the only reason why I'm asking you to stand. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite you just to be in a place of, of, of receiving from the Lord. If that's, I encourage you to close your eyes just so you're not distracted by things around you. And we're going to work our way through these few verses. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.